Clap, clap your hands and stomp your feet. You're listening. You're listening to the Clap Your Hands podcast, hosted by Elliot Shore Parks and Kyle Newbeck. Here they come. What's going on, everybody? This is the Clap Your Hands podcast, brought to you by Odyssey Sports, Sports Radio, ninety-four WIP. Download the app so you get all the latest news, all the latest uh, podcast episodes first. And frankly, it's always good to have the app, but especially right now, especially if you're an NBA fan, if you're a Sixer fan, it's important next nine days in the NBA. So a lot to get into today. We're going to talk trade rumors. We're going to talk about Embiid embarrassing Jokic. We're going to talk about the Sixers embarrassing themselves against the Orlando Magic. Might even talk about the new episode of The Last of Us because that was a great, beautiful, wild episode. So maybe we'll get into that. Who knows? Maybe my car registration and insurance too. So it's going to be a fun episode. Uh, what's up, Kyle? How you doing? Uh, not too much, man. This is the time of year where I'm just on my phone for yes. like 24 hours a day and sending texts, taking calls, or outgoing calls as well. So, you know, mm-hmm. fun times. Yeah, same for me only because the Eagles are playing in the Super Bowl. So my uh, my my life is also consumed right now with the Eagles. Um, I mean, it's exciting, you know, to go to Arizona. I'm sure you probably have some Eagles thoughts. Maybe we can get into that. Uh as well. But look, outside of just the Eagles, I'm going to be honest, I'm excited to do this pod, not just to get out of Eagles content for a little, but it's it's a super important time for, for the Sixers. I mean, we both agree that they are NBA title contenders. The, the power rankings reflect that. Some of them have them number one now in the league. And this is going to be their last kind of real chance to add to the roster of any significance. There could be guys that are, are released that they're able to sign, but guys that have value in the league, this will be their last chance. So you had a really uh, informative, good article up this morning on phillyvoice.com. I would recommend everybody checks that out uh, to, to read it. But Kyle, I'm curious, just kind of nine days out, what do you expect from the Sixers? Well, so let's look at this from a big picture perspective. I think right. the Sixers are now at the point where they view this as a potentially special season, right? Mm. And I don't know that they felt that way or... It certainly wasn't trending that way early in the season. There were plenty of doubts about whether this was all going to come together. Guys are banged up. We don't know how things would have gone if they weren't able to survive that hardenless stretch throughout November. A lot of credit to Joel Embiid and Doc Rivers and some other people for holding down the fort. But now that they have their healthy team, prior to that magic loss, they go, they win seven straight games. They're now 20 and six over the last 26. So I think they view this as an important deadline. I also don't think that Daryl Morey is the sort of person that tends to stand pat. I think more often than not, he's somebody who makes a deal. It might not be a huge deal, but it's going to be a deal. So the two first immediate places I look, one, I think they want to try to get another two-way guy into the rotation. I think the whole reason they signed Daniel House Jr., is that he, in theory, is a like a worse defending but better shooting Thibel, like that sort of guy mm-hmm. where bringing him off the bench, he can hold up against you know twos, threes, maybe not against all guards, but you know at least like some maybe slower guards, and he's a averageish, probably above averageish shooter in a normal year. Now he's underperformed. Thibel is like very clearly ahead of him in the rotation, certainly deserves to be. But I think if they could get somebody like that, at least like the the on paper 
version of house. I think that's somebody they try to get. I also think, so if we're looking at, and I wrote about this in the article, I think if we're talking about the two guys that are currently in the rotation that might have some question marks to them, it's Thibel and it's George Niang for the exact opposite reasons. Thibel, I don't think they trust as a shooter. Mm. Even if Matisse was shooting well right now, I do think there's some, there's an undercurrent of even we don't buy this if he was having a good shooting run. Like they, it's very much the thought process is when the games matter and the pressure is on, the results haven't been there and they're not going to be there. Yeah, he's not a he's not a super young player anymore. I mean, he's been in the league a few years. Yeah, and even if he was shooting a bit better, I do think there's the school of thought is teams aren't going to guard him regardless. Like if mm-hmm. the team is a 35, 36% guy, that is a, a big change on paper, but in practice, they're going to load up in the middle of the floor and they're going to make him make shots in a playoff series. And I don't think the Sixers are especially confident in that. Now, on yeah. the other side of that, good reason. Yeah. yeah. On the other side of that, I think George Niang, while he's been one of the best volume shooters off the bench in the league this year, maybe the best, I'd have to you know go through the league and, and check everybody out. I don't think they're confident he's going to hold up across a lot of matchups in the playoffs, especially you get matched up with a team like Boston, for example, and they can roll out a lineup where Tatum and Brown can essentially be the three and four. And then you only play Rob Williams or Al Horford at the five. It's a smaller lineup, but it's a smaller, much more athletic lineup. And those guys are picking on George Niang every single time. And that really complicates matters because you're already having to deal with the problems that starting a James Harden, Tyrese Maxey backcourt. Well, not starting anymore because of Melton, but playing those two guys tons of minutes you're already putting a couple targets on the floor. So Niang complicates that. So if they could get, you know, maybe a worse shooting, better defending version of Niang, these are not going to be clear upgrades, right? Like I, I don't think, at least I don't suspect they're going to get somebody like a Jay Crowder, who's been one of the big trade rumor targets all year. He's sitting out the season in Phoenix. Well, and he's meeting with the Bucks too, right? Yeah, so there's there's been some Bucks smoke over the last let's say week or so. Mm-hmm. I don't, but but he sort of trends in that direction, right? He's not as good of a shooter as Niang, but he's a much better defender. So sort of in that archetype. And then the the other type of player they're looking at really hard right now may end up being a buyout guy, but that's a wait and see thing. Is backup center. I think we've talked about Trez and Paul Reed a decent amount. And I know the fan base is really aggravated by Montrez. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, backup center to some extent is overdone, but I do think there is a real desire on the Sixers end to go out and get a potential just rim protecting. I don't want to say traditional five, because when I say traditional nowadays, that makes it seem like somebody who can't move basically. But I do think, you know, if Andre Drummond was available and it didn't cost a ton, I think that's somebody that I have some interest in. On the low end, use another Sixers player name who actually is on the Bulls with Drummond, uh, Tony Bradley type of guy, okay. where you're bringing them into the game and they're not offering you tons on offense, but somebody who can play drop coverage and protect the rim, has soft hands. In Drummond's case, I think he's probably the high-end version of that player. Now, the reason I think they might go out and trade for a guy like this rather than 
just hoping somebody gets bought out and acquire them. Backup center now, a guy like yeah. that. Yeah. Yes. I, I think the problem for backup centers on the buyout market is that the sort of player that is going to say, I'll play 10 minutes a game behind Joel Embiid is probably pretty old, right? Yep. It's not yeah. somebody who's coming in and is giving you high level minutes. This is just somebody who's there to eat time, essentially. And, you know, I don't, we'll see who ends up getting bought out, but. I don't think if if you're talking about who would actually sign in Philly, I don't think the guy that anybody wants to see play is coming to Philadelphia. Like it's probably someone who's going to go to, I don't know, like the Lakers or the Clippers mm -hmm. or somewhere where it's maybe more of a competition. They're going to play more and things like that. Yeah. Now, the good news is the Sixers are definitely title contenders. Now, to your point about it being an old player, that appeals more to an old player than a younger player. Because now younger players don't get bought out a ton. But a guy that wants to still establish his career is going to go to a team where he's going to play more minutes. A guy that yeah. is older is going to come here, play 10 minutes, and try to, to win a ring. But, all right, so there was, there was a lot there. Um, one question I have for you mostly is, so they're looking for essentially like a better version of Daniel House, if you had to guess, like someone that can do that at a level they thought Daniel or House even could. not even better, just like the version they thought they would Competent, get. Right. Like, essentially. Uh, yeah, essentially. But I guess my question is, so Thibault is probably pretty easy to move out of the rotation. If they can find a better Thibault, I don't think they'll mind just kind of wa waxing, you know, cutting his minutes. My question with George, well, do you disagree with that? So uh, the, the problem with, or not the problem, I would say with Thibault, I don't think they're necessarily trying to move him. I, I don't know that the free agent market's going to be huge for him. So I think they might roll the dice and keep him through the deadline and see, you know, they have matching rights and restrictive free agency. So they could always mm -hmm. come back in the summer and say, you know, go see what you can get and, and then match it. And then, you know, he's not going to get crazy money. So if that's the case, no. you have him on a friendly ish deal over, you know, four years or whatever that probably ends up being a win and that probably ends up making it easier to move him for well, more of an impact guy later. Well, I guess more, more what I was trying to say was if they can acquire a two-way player that is a better version of Thibault, I don't think they mind the fact Thibault wouldn't be playing. They're not prioritized getting him minutes, right? They're playing him yeah. out of necessity to a certain point. George Niang, I think they're playing because to your point, he's an awesome shooter. He can come off the bench and give them exactly what they need. So my question for you would be, if they're able to find a George Niang type of player that's not as good of a shooter, but a way better defender, a better athlete, maybe those type of things, how do you, like, do you think they're going to acquire a player that would cut into Niang's minutes significantly? Like, how do you envision it all working out? Because, you know, they're not going to acquire, it sounds like a megastar. So if you're talking role no. players, you're basically cutting guys out of the rotation if you, if you acquire them. So how do you view that shaking out if they're able to? If I had to guess, I don't think anybody they're acquiring is just walking into the rotation. It's more, this is somebody okay. who is a competitor for minutes and is at least an alternative if things go wrong, right? Because, you know, if they were going to make a big move, as we've discussed a hundred times already, it probably relies on trading Tobias Harris. So for example, mm -hmm. if they're making a, a move for like OG Ananobi, who's one of the big names on the market right now, which if he's the big name on the market, that says a lot about 
right. where the market is at. 100. Um, yeah. So if they were to make a move for him, that turns into probably a bigger deal with a lot of moving parts. Like you can get to, I believe Ananobi's making like 18 million, if I'm remembering that correctly. You could get there with say uh, Melton and Tucker, but you're yeah. not making that deal. like because one Toronto's not taking that deal; they're asking for more. And I think if you were to ask some people in Philadelphia in the front office, so I, I think there are people that make that would make the claim that Melton is probably your third or fourth best player this year, depending wow. on how you factor in, you know, Tyrese is hurt for a long time. Yeah. And I think totally. Tobias is viewed as like, I don't think this is a, you know, Maxi is just the third guy, at least this year. He's certainly probably the more important guy of all these guys long-term. But I do think they value everything that they're the role players in the starting lineup. Have well, brought. let me let me ask you something really quick. Do you think yeah. they've soured on Maxi? I don't think so. I, I think no? it's just okay. it's more a case of he was hurt for six weeks. So okay, I I would say I'm I would have come into the year thinking Maxi was basically untouchable. I do mm-hmm. not think he's there. I I do think that the possibility exists for a huge trade if they want to make it, because I think the Sixers are willing to trade anybody, but James Harden and Joel Embiid. I just think that based on what the, uh, what the players, what players are available on the market right now, I just don't think that anything involving like a maxi is really on the table. It's just wild to me because, and correct me if I misheard you, but you know, there's some people in the Sixers maybe think Melton's their third best player because how good he's been and because Maxie's been hurt and Maxie's now coming off the bench. So, you know, I I do believe in Maxie and we've had a lot of discussions. I do wonder from the outside looking in if another fan base or another, you know, group of reporters or, or league is looking and going, I mean, they're bringing this guy off the bench now. So maybe he's not as valued within that organization as he was supposed to be at this point of the season in his career. I think that would probably hold more weight if they weren't winning. That's the thing. It's like they've done this for the betterment of the team. And we've also seen now last night Tyrese didn't play well, but nobody really played well. Mm -hmm. So I, I think we've also seen Tyrese settle into this role. It's not as if, He's moving there and he's taking it as a demotion. I I do think because he's had the right attitude about it, it's allowed him to get the most out of it. It's allowed the team to get the most out of it. So if that's the if that continues to be the case, then there won't be as many vultures circling. But yeah, it's always whenever a guy who's a highly regarded young player, someone who's still waiting on their first huge payday, Mm -hmm. gets demoted in a certain way, then everybody's going to be keeping an eye on that. But yeah, I don't, I don't think it's a situation where they're actively looking to move on from him. And the other thing is, so again, this goes back to who's actually available right now. Yeah. 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 Not to focus on Ananobi too much, but, but let's say for example, the Sixers decided they really wanted OG Ananobi and that's the guy they want to go after. And they say, you know, Maxi can be part of this deal. If you make a deal and bring in a wing like that, then you become so reliant on if James Harden walks in the offseason, you are in big time trouble because yeah. your guard depth is basically zero and you don't have a ton of ways to actually rectify that. Right. You don't have trade assets to move. They're going to bring in a high level guard. You don't have first round picks. So I think the the real tricky thing with Maxi is that not only is he valuable to this current team, he's also a long-term security blanket in a lot of ways in the event that 
whether it's James decides he wants out, maybe, and I, again, I'm not reporting this is the case, but maybe right. Joel gets sick of what's happening here and he wants to go win somewhere else, whatever. And if Joel leaves and James leaves within the next couple of years, well, then really, what do you have? Like, then you're, you're <laughs> you really have a rebuild. Yeah, that. you have a yeah. rebuild on your hands. And facilitating that without somebody like Maxi, you'd go through some real dark times. At, at least Maxi would give you a bit of a leg up, a, a, a not a high starting point, but certainly a higher starting point than if you're dealing with yeah. no shot creators and a deficit of picks. So I, I think that's also in the calculus. So does OG feel like the biggest name that's available right now? Probably. I mean, unless you're saying Russell Westbrook, because the, yeah, that pure name value. But if you're talking mm -hmm. about actual impact type of player, I think that's, I think he's the guy. Um, if, if Siakam was available, maybe, but I don't think the Raptors are trading him. What would, what would OG bring to the Sixers roster? And I know you're not saying they're like in on him or it's a real possibility. I'm just yeah. curious now, like what, what do you think makes him worth potentially giving up a legitimate package for? I mean, he might be, at the moment, the best wing defender in the league. So okay. if you add him to the team, like in, just, let's just say in theory, you trade Tobias as part of a package for OG, Tobias and whatever for OG and maybe whatever other, yes, like another guy. Yeah. Um, you suddenly become, you, you take Tobias and you're replacing him with one of the best defenders in the league. Now, Tobias mm -hmm. has had good defensive moments. But he does not have the versatility or you know day-to-day -day consistency, athleticism of somebody like OG. Where I think that would change the team in a bad way, I do think that Tobias is significantly better as a shot creator. I do think uh, I don't know if the numbers would bear this out this year. I think Tobias is a a better shooter by at least a decent distance, maybe like two percent, three percent. If I had to guess off the top of my head. And I think he's probably scoring you four to six points a game that OG just can't get you. Like mm -hmm. he's just not able to create his own shot in the same way. And if he was able to, I think Toronto would have fewer problems and they wouldn't be in the, the business of, you know, potentially blowing the team up and, yeah, so and training people. So I would be wary of trading for him in general because I think, you know, actually, great example is the Sixers playoff series with the Raptors last year right they spent a lot of that series saying hey we're not afraid of og ananobi beating us we'll leave you open mm -hmm. and there were games where they were punished for that certainly but most of that series toronto couldn't score and they still can't score and yeah because they don't have a if, guy they don't have like the guy that they can go to. right so if you trade for og you do get better defensively but it becomes a situation where now you're really reliant on James and Joel doing everything. Well, and, and Maxie. You have Maxie. And Maxie. Well, I don't know if Maxie stays in that sort of thing. Okay, that's because, right. Um, you think it would it take might, It might be getting it. spun into like a big a big deal at that point if Tobias is mm -hmm. getting moved. But so you become – if you're in crunch time and it's James, OG, PJ, Joel, and maybe Melton or Maxie, if Maxie's still here – but I think the idea is you want to get defensively tougher. So let's say Melton. Yeah. In that example, James and Joel have to do basically all the creating. And if you end up in a late clock situation, I don't really trust any of those other guys. If Tobias is here, you can at least say, you know, there's 
five seconds on the clock, he can go get you a shot from mid-range and he might make mm-hmm. a shot from mid-range. And that could be the difference in the game, like a, a four point, six point game in the playoffs. Those possessions could be the entire difference in the game. And so I don't yeah. think that's something you should take for granted. Maybe if OG's given a bigger opportunity, he can eventually become that guy. But I don't think that he is that guy now. And I also well, think he's dissatisfied with his role in Toronto. At least that's the rumor. You're not getting a bigger role here. You're yeah. going to be a guy who's going to stand in the corner or set screens and defend hard. And you're going to get occasional opportunities as an offensive player. So I don't think this profiles as you know his happy place either. So I, you know, his emotions aside and that maybe is more of a discussion it becomes more of a real thing but just to continue to use og as as an example right i do think i've become more in the camp of ultimately we all know this season is going to come down to joel and harden we've always said that since the pod began but i think there were times where i said look maybe you go and trade for a legit bucket guy because if one of those falters you have them as a backup i think joel and harden are playing well enough right now where the reality remains, yes, they're not going anywhere if those two don't play great, but I'm not as interested in keeping a safety net under them. So to your point about- I think that's, maybe, a, that's a fair way to approach it, I think. Yeah, like, so if if you trade Tobias, you're right, you're not as good offensively in some ways, but I think you're better complementing the two players that you really, really need to focus on, and especially if you keep Maxi. So as they approach the deadline, I'm all always going to be in for a big trade for a bucket boy that's just- it's my heart. It's what I believe in. But I do think it sounds the way they're approaching it is much more. This team is really good. Let's compliment Joel and James more so than, uh, you know, try to add a significant type piece because they might frankly not need it. Yeah. I, I just don't think there's a, a big market out there. And I think this is, this is somewhat a product of how the play in tourney has changed how teams are valuing the regular season, right? There are just fewer outright sellers at the deadline Mm -hmm. team, like the wizards, who's not very good. They traded Rui Hachimura, but that was not about getting worse. It was about wanting to pay Kyle Kuzma in the off season. And I would say historically a team like that is saying, you know, screw this. We'll just tear it down and hope we can tank for Victor Wembanyama. And there are a lot of teams that are in that position. Toronto's another one. Toronto, to me, should strip it down to the nails. Other I than, agree. You, know, you keep you keep Siakam, you keep like a one or two other guys, and you say, who cares about this season? If we can get Victor or one of these other guys at the top of the draft, then we're really off to the races. That, that and really, who cares about future. Siakam? Siakam's a nice player. No, he's a good guy. Siakam's very, he's very, very good. Like He's, not he's very good, but... But he's not the guy is the point I'm making. trade package. Like he would get a Uh, huge deal if he got traded for. Right. But the point I'm making with Siakam is you have to get another guy. It doesn't matter. If you have Siakam, you're just constantly going to be like a seven or six seed and constantly be right there as your best guy. So I agree Siakam's good. But if they don't trade him and completely tear it down, they're never going to get the guy with Siakam because Siakam's just good enough to keep them in contention. Right. But I think if you trade Fred Van Vliet, and or OG Ananobi and you get like nothing current in return. I think you can start. Siakam can have a phantom injury at some point, whatever it is. And I just said they can, they can get into that mix of, you know, bottom eight or whatever it is, bottom Mm -hmm. six, bottom eight. And that's, uh, there are more teams that should probably do that. Now the, the counter argument is 
the bottom teams are so bad that it's almost impossible to even penetrate the the Detroit Houston level of uh yeah, of tanking of this year. But you have to be realistic about where your chances are. I do think the play-in tournament has skewed that a little bit where teams are more, well, we'll just stand pat. I don't think we would have seen a Miles Turner extension in the past, right? Mm-hmm. And Indiana is a decent play-in level playoff team, but they had a lot of interest. There was a lot of interest in Turner, specifically from the Lakers earlier this year. I think maybe five, 10 years ago, Turner just gets traded to the Lakers and maybe the Lakers are more willing to trade for a guy like that at that point. Yeah. Instead, they extended Turner. It seems like he's going to stay at least the rest of this year. They're going to see what happens in the playoffs and then they probably trade him. So I just, I don't think other than the one, the one exception is I think Atlanta would drive John Collins to the airport (laughs) tomorrow if somebody offered what they wanted. They've been trying to trade him for. What do you think it takes to get him if you're the Sixers? John Collins? Yeah. Uh, I mean, he's just, he doesn't really, because essentially you're, you'd be trading. That's like, that's a Tobias trade. And I just straight up would rather have Tobias. Yeah. Because John Collins' problem is that he hasn't been effective as a, a center, like a small ball center type guy. And he's not happy with his role in Atlanta. Now, maybe that's, we talked about Trey Young and how the players don't really love him. Yeah, as seem much to as hate him. Think. Yeah, and so maybe that's just a product of playing with Trey, and he'd be happier here, where figure something out with James and playing off of Joel, whatever. But I kind of just say no thanks to him in general. Well, let me ask you this: so the guys that they're looking for, the three and D type of guys, like the role player three and D players, how hard are those guys going to be to acquire? Because you would think that the good teams that have them, to your point, there's a lot more teams in playoff contention than normal. They're not going to trade them away because they're valuable parts of winning. They got the teams that are terrible. They might have young versions of those, but they probably don't have playoff ready versions of those. Or unless I'm not thinking, I'm sure I'm not thinking of some players, but how hard is it going to be to acquire the type of player they're looking for? It's very difficult because yeah. the entire league wants three and D players. That's they're the, they went from being a market inefficiency to every single team wants as many of them as they can mm-hmm. have. So all the good ones are either locked up on deals or are young. And so they're not being traded. And so you're not going to get a good one unless you're trading with you know, like Charlotte or yeah. Detroit or these teams that are truly out of it that have no real reason to compete this year. And in that case, those guys are just, if the, they were better, their teams would be better. So you are, and it's also based on what the Sixers had to trade, right? They don't want to move, if they don't have to, a guy like Melton, who is one of their, weirdly enough, makes a lot more money than you know a bunch of the roster, despite the fact he's only making like $8 million a year. Right. Well, that's weird. That's the thing. They don't have a lot of tradable contracts. That's the yeah. other tough part of this, I think. And so that's why it gets interesting when you talk about the Tobias maxi combo in a trade because that's real value and that's something you could turn into real guys coming back if you're talking about you know a team that's stripping it down or maybe a team that's a playoff team that has different needs that needs more shot creation whatever it is yeah but it just like are you getting proper value back the answer is probably no which is why i think it it ends up being you probably move somebody like Jaden springer cork maz Daniel House Jr., Thibault, if it's more of a high-end version of this trade, 
and you get whatever back that you can get for, you know, the poo-poo platter of guys right. that you're talking about there. And I can't imagine you get much for those guys. Now, I will say one thing they have to consider too is these guys have to be ready to come in and play in the playoffs. Like the good news, the good quality about Jay Crowder would be he has played in the postseason and he he is ready to do those things. Whereas if you're trading for, to your point, a younger player, they're not ready to play in the conference finals, or at least you don't expect them to be. It's possible that it's just the right type of, you know, Jalen Hurts type of attitude where this guy is just ready and played in big games. But that's probably probably not what you're getting. My, my other question for you would be, because of the reality that Melton makes $8 million, now he's a starter, so trading him is no small thing, but he makes $8 million, Matt, uh, T- Toby's at 37 I don't think you're getting anything for Tucker. Would you be willing to trade Toby for like three guys, like turn Toby into, into three guys, but none of them are as good as Toby. Do you think that's a, a option they would explore? I think that was probably more on the table before the season. I could, I think Tobias playing the way he has, has made that a much tougher sell where you, you're not going to bench him at the end of a playoff game. He's going mm-hmm. to play. And so I just I don't see having a, a revolving door where it's like, well, this guy's a decent defender, but not a great shooter. This guy, like you're not going to get a good enough player to be a nailed on starter in the playoffs level guy in return for just a bias. And so I think it makes it sort of pointless. Uh, one thing I wanted to bring up that I just pulled up, I the Sixers do have, and I know this is just a second round pick, so we don't have to pretend that it's like this ultra valuable. <laughs> but if we're talking about potential sweetener pieces, they own the more favorable second round pick between Atlanta, Charlotte, and Brooklyn. Now that's almost certainly going to be Charlotte. And Charlotte's right. really bad. That could be one of the first few picks of the second yeah, like 34 round. 34 or whatever. And that has a lot of value in the sense that there are a lot of teams that like to trade into that spot out, like trade out of the first round and into that spot because they do not have to pay that guy guaranteed money. And mm. so that's an interesting, if you put a thigh bowl in a trade, for example, and then you also add that second round pick that then you at least get, that's some interesting value for a team. Now the Sixers probably want to hold on to that pick if they can, just because, they're up against the cap and yeah. you know a guy on a cheap deal in a deep draft this year, or at least that people expect it to be a deep draft that could have more valuable or more value than in a normal year. Another person we haven't brought up yet is shake. Milton is an interesting sweetener in the same respect. Well, what's he make though? He's well, like that's the problem. Million. So he would have to be in a deal where there's a bigger contract in there, right? He's only making like $2 million. Yeah. So, but I think with Maxi moving to the second unit and James is going to play more minutes in the playoffs, even though he's already playing a ton of minutes. Yeah. Having a guy who's like a pure sixth man type player, not as valuable or in shake Milton, I mean, is not as valuable as it was when Tyrese is starting. You don't need as much offensive creation off of the bench with Tyrese in that sort of role. And so I wonder if a contending team no, the Clippers are actually an interesting team now that I'm thinking about it. The Clippers probably need to make some consolidation trades. They just have too many guys. Yeah. But they've been rumored to want guard help. I think more of a starting level guard. But I wonder if a team like that says, hey, Shake's a, a real six-man type that gives us offense off the bench. He would help a lot of 
you know, contenders or pseudo contender type teams. And so if they end up making a big move, I wonder if he's like a, a little bit extra to throw in a deal to make that happen. Well, and I do wonder if a team like the Clippers might talk themselves into Tucker just because they, if you're doing it to contend, maybe you think in the playoffs. And if you put Shake and Tucker together, you're at 13 million, 12 million, whatever. So maybe you're able to acquire better, a better player. Otherwise, I mean, who would, who on the Clippers would you, would you look at? I know you're off the top of your head, but I'm curious. Well, Robert Covington's basically not playing at all. Oh, there you go. And he's, yeah. and he's not going to play starting What's level minutes. Or he's on a. He, I'd have to double. I'll look right now. But just to talk about him a little bit, like he's sort of that example of he's not shooting like George and Yang. He makes but he's 12 a better. Nine. But he's a better defensive option than George yeah. and Yang. I I think he's probably out of the the salary price range. But that he fits within that mold of a player that I'm talking about. So he makes uh, on 12, the Tucker on the Tucker yeah. subject. I don't think yep. they're trading Tucker. I, okay. I think if they were for whatever reason able to get a serious upgrade on Tucker, sure. But one, I don't think that's happening. Two, I think again, I go back to what we talked about with things I heard in the off season and how we've seen him use recently they know that he's going to be a valuable sort of versatile guy in the playoffs that if they're playing switching lineups that he can play center, they can't really use anybody else on this roster the way they used him against Jokic the other night. For example. I was going to say he played well in that game, right? Was awesome defensively yeah. was basically the entire reason that Jokic did nothing for <laughs> the entire fourth quarter. And most of the second half, which it is totally so jumped up. It's yeah. I mean, that's a whole other <laughs> subject, right. but so I, I think they look at games like that and some of the games he's had against Milwaukee and Brooklyn throughout the year, there are definitely playoff series and playoff matchups where they're going to need him and they need that sort of switchable versatile can play the four can play the five can do different things that I, I don't think they're going to be able to find that in somebody else that they would bring back for him. They yeah. might get a better, a cleaner fit in terms of like a true wing, maybe with that sort of money, but his present day value on the trade market is not good enough that I think it's going to be worth trading him. Do you think they would trade Niang? I mean, of course they would for, you know, the right deal, I guess, but yeah, I mean, I don't think he's, he's not good enough to be like, Oh yeah, they're definitely not. That's what I mean. Yeah. the, The trick is, do you trade him and make, and then you have other questions to answer. Like, where does the bench shooting mm-hmm. come from? Because then you're left with a bench that's like, Shake has had a good shooting year, but he could uh, be on a downturn at any point. Thibault, certainly, we know what his uh, his yeah. shooting is. Neither of their backup bigs space the floor. So then you're in a situation where you're not getting that out of... It's not like they have a Mike Muscala that they could bring him into the rotation and say, we'll sort of juice up the, the bench shooting in that way. So, yeah, that's a really tricky one because if you lose him, all of a sudden you go from they're at a surplus of shooting to I don't know if they have enough. Yeah, and the the good news is they have a lot in their starting lineup, but you're right that it would then become an issue off the bench. So before we move on from the trade stuff, I mean, is there anything else you want to add? I'm trying to think maybe like just summarize it up. It seems like they're going to look for a 3 and D guy, uh, a version of Daniel House that maybe is the version they thought they were getting, and then backup center – potential buyout options, but also a, a position you think they'll look at. But you think those are the three kind of key areas they're going to key in on as the uh, as the deadline comes up? 
Yeah, and so the luxury tax is something that's been brought up a bunch by other reporters leading into this. I do think if they could, they're going to get under the tax, but I don't think it's a matter of that's the number one priority for the team. I think Mm -hmm. if they can be better and also be cheaper, that that would be great. And I I think think everyone would pick that option. In a a salary cap league, that's just kind of the reality of things. But I, I don't think... The only way I see them only making a, a pure cap saving move is if there's just nothing out there. I don't think this mm-hmm. is a, I think the team is good enough that it, they know it'd be really hard to sell to the fan base. Hey, we're just saving money uh, for Josh Harris. Like, right. I, I, don't, I don't think that's a helping a, him a route uh, they want to go down, especially as they're still trying to load up for this uh, stadium or arena well, proposal. And also like, you don't want to save money to help Josh Harris buy Washington. Now I, Washington commanders, I personally don't care if he buys a Washington commanders, but uh, yeah, that, that the PR of that will, will, will not be great if they, they save money, especially oh, on that when front, I don't think that's going to happen. If I have, oh, you don't think so? No. Okay. I mean, I did some reporting on this. I, I think the, the expectation is that's going to be Jeff Bezos's team at some point. I know there's, a lot of contention. There's a contentious relationship between him and Daniel Snyder. But I think the, from my understanding, the people involved in that process are just sort of waiting for him to eventually trump everyone's bids and, and get the team. I know that he hasn't actually submitted anything formal yet, but the, the Sixers ownership group was involved in the Broncos sale process. Mm -hmm. And who, who bought that? The Waltons, right? Yeah. 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 So when they bought the team, they were essentially uninvolved in the bid process until after Josh Harris, or not Josh Harris, but associates of Josh Harris's went to Denver and met with Denver's brain trust and toured the stadium and met players and coaches and whatever. And then the Waltons came in and said, Hey, we're going to bid, you know, four point whatever billion dollars. Yeah. And so the, so HBSE was basically like, yeah, no thanks. We're not having a big <laughs> over this. So I think they're interested in NFL ownership in general. I also think they they would like to become majority owner of a Premier League team potentially. But I mean, they should just I, by league at this point. The whole roster is American, and the head coach is American. <laughs> so just just go ahead. I would say I think they they have looked <laughs> at bigger fish. They were in for Chelsea before that mm-hmm. went to top. Oh wow. So. Yeah. So the long and short of it is, I do think at some point, if they can, that that group is going to try to buy an NFL team. I don't well, think it's going to be Washington, if I had to guess. I'm sure that'll just because Jeff well. Bezos has more money than God. Like that's yeah, exactly. He can just buy, he'll just buy it today if he wants. So I'm yeah. sure it'll go well with the fans whenever uh, whenever Josh Harris buys an NFL team. But <laughs> speaking of uh, the fact that. You know, the Sixers are number one in a lot of power rankings. They are legit contenders. Uh, they had an awesome win. We were unable to record, unfortunately. I always know that it's a great Sixers game, and it would have been a great pod when Kyle texts me afterwards and goes, man, like it was after the Doc Rivers one where they beat the Lakers, and after this game, he texts in and is like, we might want to record. But fortunately, the Eagles ruined that. So Jokic got absolutely, I mean, not embarrassed, but he got significantly outplayed by Embiid just – Go ahead, man. Just do, do do your thing on what you saw in Bede Jokic. So I just want to say this right off the top. I don't ever want to hear that Jokic is a good defender 
again. <laughs> like it's just the people who say that it, it's like, and I don't, I don't mean this as disrespect to James Harden, but it's like the, the people who are like, well, James Harden is a good post defender. It's like, right. who the hell cares? <laughs> Nikola Jokic comes up with some steals sometimes. Like, yeah, he poked a couple balls loose from Embiid early in that game. And, you know, that was great. It's like, oh, man, he's slowing him down. Yeah. And then he got absolutely punked for like two and a half quarters of that game. And I grant him this. Joel spent most of that second half not defending him. And that's something that Joel would have made fun of somebody like Anthony Davis for in the past. Yep. Like, oh, you're not willing to take that assignment, blah, blah, blah. But that ends up changing the game for Philadelphia. I just, you watch Nikola Jokic try to defend other than just standing there and being huge. He's a crappy defender. Like, call it what it is. You don't, yeah. you can make an MVP case, a best player in the league case for Nikola Jokic by saying, he might be the best offensive player in the league. Now, I think you also saw in Saturday's game sort of the problems with Jokic on offense. He is ultra efficient, but part of the reason he's ultra efficient is that he picks his spots big time. And I'm in the school of thought more now than ever that a lot of times your stars are going to just have to be happy with if they have to go 11 for 25 because nobody else can get it going and they have to mm. just volume shoot their way out of a, a tough game. They have to be willing to do that. And I don't think Jokic is wired that way. I appreciate that he's a great playmaker and unselfish and all this stuff. And that's what he prioritizes more, but you have to be willing at some point, like your team gives up a double digit lead on the road against you know one of the other best teams in the league. At some point you're being guarded by a six foot five, 37 year old power forward you have to say, I'm putting P.J. Tucker through the fucking stanchion and I'm going <laughs> to score the next eight to ten points. And that, to me, is the difference between Jokic and guys like Joel Embiid, Giannis, Kevin Durant, Jason Tatum. Those guys are falling on their sword. And I think when push comes to shove in the playoffs, you need your best player to be willing to do that. So I, that was yeah. something that came up during that game that I just wanted to you know, go on a little Jokic no, tangent on. I well, and that's the thing about Jokic being considered a better offensive player. Embiid's a better shooter. Embiid's a better scorer. Um, you know, it, Jokic is a very good rebounder. Jokic is a better passer. But but ultimately, what you saw in that game was when Embiid had to take over, he just did it himself. He didn't have to rely on other people around him, right? Now, my biggest takeaway from that game and really just the moment of Joel rising to it, I thought it was encouraging sign for the playoffs. Not that Joel has had great regular season games. It's you know, as much as I rip Joel for not being clutch in the playoffs, there's definitely been regular season games where he's been unguardable down the stretch and he carries them to a win against a quality opponent. But I do think this season in that moment, especially coming off the all-star snub, it felt like Joel saying, no, 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 prime time versus Jokic. I'm just going to absolutely dominate and take over. And I hope that that's what we see in the playoffs. And I hope that's the version of Joel you see in the playoffs and just seeing all the different ways he could score too. I mean, we started this pod where I was saying I hate centers, right? Mm -hmm. The guy, the guy scores like a guard in a lot of ways. I mean, you know, we, you know, he, he's not doesn't move like a guard as much, but he kind of just does a lot of the same things on scoring on the perimeter. So, man, if they get that Joel and even a close to it version, because what do you have, forty-seven points? You don't expect him to average that. But if they get close to that version in the playoffs, just mentally in the way he's playing, I mean, yeah, they're 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 probably the best team in the league, or at least right there. 
And the thing that was driving me nuts after the game was all the people who I normally see crowing about how good Jokic is and that he's better than Embiid and blah, 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 are all like, well, that game clearly meant more to Joel than Jokic. Like, <laughs> okay, well, then maybe yeah. Jokic should have gotten up for the fucking game. Like, I agree. Just, yeah. it's, a, it's a national TV game against one of the best teams in the league. Jokic yep. is direct competitor for MVP awards, all NBA awards best center in the league distinction, all that stuff. If he can't get up for that game, that is a personal failing on his part. Like yeah. we would, all, rip, we would the, rip Joel to shreds if he didn't come up for that. Correct. Game. Like all the yeah. talk about Jokic is that, well, he's more available and he's a more consistent player. Okay. Consistency also means you have to show up against stars. It's not just you're beating up fucking yeah. Wenyan Gabriel on the Lakers and like these bums <laughs> in the Western conference. Like, we also don't right. talk about the fact that the Western Conference is way worse than the East this year. And yep. Joel is still putting up better or comparable numbers in basically all categories compared to Jokic. So I just I thought that that's just BS. Like you can't say that, oh well, this one meant more to okay. If it meant more to him, he still went out there and kicked this dude's ass, like played way mm -hmm. better than this guy. The whole point is to go win the game. Joel did what was necessary to win the game and he outplayed the guy. Like that's the whole objective yeah. is of the sport. Win your battle, win the game. He did both. And so I, there's just all this like excuse making for Jokic as if it's not like this guy has won a title or something. Well, that that's what I was going to say. There's, rest there's... on his laurels and say, yeah. you know, I've accomplished everything there is to accomplish. I get that he, maybe he doesn't care as much about the individual awards, but it's a pride thing, dude. Like the whole thing for these guys is that they're not really competing with most of the league. They're competing against the own, their own bar that they set day after day. That's been the challenge for Joel mm -hmm. even throughout these last few years is that he's so good that oftentimes he can put up 30, like he put up 30, 10 and five against Orlando. And I didn't think he even played that well. Like it was not a very good game for him. Right. And so like Jokic can put up these great numbers. The question is not, is he putting up great stats? Is, is he doing what's required to win? And can he meet the level he needs to, to beat great teams and great players? And he came way short of that on Saturday. Like don't care what the stats say about, oh, he was eight for 12. And you know, his PER is this, and he had nine assists. And what it's like, I don't care, man. You got to go out there and do what's required. It wasn't even close in the end. So I, I, I think to your point, I thought that was a great display from Joel. He went out there and took the game for his team, rallied them back after a, a what I thought was a horrendous defensive first half and deserves the praise that he's gotten. I think there are now some major media people who are saying he he should be the front runner for MVP. And, you know, mm -hmm. I'm not inclined to disagree with that. Well, yeah, I mean, I think has a has a new MVP ladder like odds come out. I haven't checked recently, but I would think he has to. Uh, be I don't think so, but they were named number one in the overall team power rankings on NBA.com yesterday. So, so there you go. But but the other thing I would add about Jokic real quick, like all the things that I am critical of Embiid for, Jokic is just as bad, if not worse. Like Jokic is a loser. Like the dude's never won anything as significant in playoffs. And I wouldn't go that far. That, well, that's on, a little on, too strong. He's been, if I'm mistaken, he's been in the conference finals one time, right? And that was in the, the bubble. bubble. 
and yeah. that was was that not when Jamal Murray just went completely off and like had the best like play right? If Embiid ever got that type of guard play, he would have been in the conference finals. If if Embiid got that type of help from a perimeter player, he absolutely would have been right. Jokic, to my memory, and you can correct me if I'm wrong, has never really like had a moment that Embiid hasn't had. Embiid in the playoffs has not been out of the second round. Jokic is only out of the second round because of Jamal Murray. Jokic got thrown out of a game, right? His team is pseudo- You could also argue Jokic is only out of the second round because of Doc Rivers. Yeah, well, there you go too, right? Because so, that, that was the, the big choke job in, in right. the bubble and overplaying Montrez Harrell against Denver. Like that right. was the whole and look, maybe maybe in Denver, although I'd be surprised, maybe in Denver Jokic does catch heat for a lack of playoff success. But I just know nationally, you never hear Jokic criticized for that type of thing. And again, on Sunday it showed Embiid just a better player. He's just a flat out better player. Jokic is good, is a better passer on offense. Embiid's a way better defender. He's a way better scorer. He can take over games in the ways Jokic can't. Like, what's, you know, I just, I think he's flat out better. And I, I it's frustrating, even as someone that rips Joel, it is frustrating to see Joel get ripped when Jokic just isn't. He doesn't get criticized the way Joel does. Yeah, well, there are a lot of lot of things going <laughs> on there. Some uh, some white privilege, yeah. perhaps. Some, yes, uh, yeah. So, I it's mean, not fair. It's a- flat out not fair. Yeah. So I, I don't really get it. I mean, look, I think both guys are absolutely incredible players and Joel gets held to a different standard. I tweeted after the game the other day, if Joel had scored two points in the fourth quarter of a game where he's being guarded by PJ Tucker for the yeah. entire second half and blew a double digit lead on national TV, the amount of meltdowns that would have happened from Stephen A. Smith, <laughs> from local writers, from people yeah. on the radio, from all kinds of people would have been significant. You're, you're not going to hear anything about you. I might have been one of them. <laughs> no, that's what I, like, yeah. I'm not saying that as a pejorative. Like, I that's Joel should be held to a high standard. If he got yeah. his ass kicked by one of his biggest rivals, arguably his biggest player rival in terms of, you know, who could actually compete with him for best center, we would criticize him. He would deserve it. That's how it goes. But yeah. He has outplayed him now, at least individually, in a bunch of the matchups that they played. I want to say that he's either five and two or six and two against Jokic in their careers now. Mm-hmm. And the stats are way better in favor of Joel. So I don't yeah. know. I don't know what else he has to do to I, I sort of I really feel for him at this point that there were still people after that game that was like who were calling Jokic the likely three-time MVP. It's like, of all moments <laughs> to make this Yeah, now point, is not the like, time. Now is not the time to stump for that guy. No. Um, so the last thing I wanted to ask you about uh, before we have to wrap this up, unfortunately, we don't even have to get into the Magic game a ton, but I think the two last topics kind of tie in. That the Magic game, to me, the biggest takeaway is it's disappointing because they have a chance to, w- to have the best record in the East and to be one of the best teams in the NBA. And so when you drop games like that, and you have gotten in my head about this March schedule, it's like, I think about it every time I think about the Sixers, who knows how that'll play out. But that was my main takeaway. It's just disappointing. They, they played fine to start. They got a lead, like whatever. They just blew it. And it sucks because they have a chance to catch the Celtics. They have a chance to have home court advantage in the playoffs. And games like this, it's not like the NFL, where if you lose a game, it's a massive thing. But little, little games like this do, do add up if it becomes a constant thing. So a couple of things. I think it would have been less disappointing, weirdly enough, if they had come out and just looked like crap to start the game and lost yeah, yeah. one of those. I think the disheartening thing is that 
Joel took the game very seriously at the start. They look really good. They get out to a 21 point lead and then they totally took their foot off the gas and just could not figure out how to, you know, turn it back on. And that was, that was every player on the floor. Like they just, Mm -hmm. they totally lost sight of the game and, you know, give Orlando credit. I thought that's a game where a young team could have laid down. They kept playing hard. And when the Sixers tried to dial it back up, the magic were already at a level that was hard for them to meet. And, they went out and took that game. So, you know, that was yeah. a that's an impressive comeback for those guys that they deserve credit for. So that was number one. The other thing, though, is like you're gonna lose these games. They're they're yeah, riding high. They're riding high. They had won seven straight games, including two super high emotion games at home mm-hmm. with playoff type atmospheres. I'm like borderline falling asleep during the first half of the magic <laughs> game. That was how engaged most of us were with that game last night and you know orlando has given teams trouble they've beaten boston three different times including twice Mm -hmm. at boston they're a tricky team to deal with in the regular season they're just good enough to punish you if you take your foot off the gas so i read almost nothing into it i i do agree with you now that the sixers are within striking distance of boston for that number one seed at least like it's in play more than i was giving it credit for yeah every loss is going to feel more painful. And if they get to a point where it looks like they're going to slip out of the number two seed and then they end up with tougher playoff matchups and what have you, then obviously all these are going to hurt more. I do think, though, they've earned themselves some grace that this is just a a blip after a really ultra-consistent run of play. But Mm -hmm. they do need to walk. They do need to play, at least just play three quarters and then, you know, Impress everybody. That's the that's the ultimate way to win as a a very good team against young teams. As you kick their ass for two and a half, three quarters, and then you're on the bench waving towels in the fourth quarter <laughs> and uh, and doing nothing at all. Well, and that to me, it's that's why my takeaway from the Magic loss is actually in a weird way a positive because I think it highlights how much better they are than they were six weeks ago, seven weeks ago. That they can lose a game like that, and our reaction is not. This team doesn't try hard. Where's the effort from Joel? James looks cooked. They're slow. All those things. When you when you win seven straight, and to your point, you beat the Nets uh, in prime time. You beat the Nuggets in prime time. Games like this happen. Again, it just sucks that they had it. It just sucks they had it, and, and they ended up blowing it. So outside of that, I mean, again, they've been playing really well recently. Number one in the East. Uh, who do they have coming up? What, what's next up? They have the Magic and the Spurs. So real oh, exciting week. <laughs> revenge, revenge game against, uh, against but, Orlando. But then, so I could pull it up real quick, but I believe after that, they have an absolutely ridiculous part of the schedule. This All is right. like the start of the... So I have this, it up right now. They, the they play Orlando, Orlando, San Antonio, but then it's at the Knicks, at the Celtics, home against the Knicks at Brooklyn. They play Houston at home, which is a, they should destroy them, obviously. Mm, Then they play Cleveland, Cleveland, Memphis, Boston, Miami to finish February. So that is a monster run of games. Yeah. Was it February? You were always saying was a tough schedule or March? No, it's March, but February (laughs) February probably has the tougher strength of schedule. The fact that they had a tough schedule and they're on the road basically all of March. So mm-hmm. I'm gonna count these up. In March, they have one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven, twelve road games in the month of Yikes. March. Yeah. Well, so, you'll be home a lot, I guess. <laughs> I, I'm gonna, we'll be doing a lot of post game podcasting. It's a lot of Eastern Conference of, games. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Well, especially uh yeah, 
no, you're right. I mean, look, I, I really think they have a legit shot at the one seed. So the schedule, and it's exciting to see them go up against these good teams and see how they match up and, and all those things. So, but it's a, it's an absolutely critical stretch, uh, not just because of the schedule, but how we started the pot off. Like this is their chance to add to the roster. This is their chance to, to make those final kind of piece moves to, to keep them at number one in the East. So, um, I guess before we wrap this up, just any final thoughts, uh, any Sixers takes you weren't able to fire off, uh, anything like that? No. no. Now, uh, any Eagles will, takes? Uh, I mean, yeah. I mean, I, I think here are my two takes. I think they're going to win the Super Bowl, barring right. a incredible performance from Mahomes, which, you know, obviously very possible. And I think regardless of whether they win, this is a better team than the team that won the Super Bowl. I don't I know if that's controversial or not but i agree i agree with 2017 all right so i'm gonna give my first like prediction for the super bowl i haven't given it on air on the gobert's pod because this is a safe oh sport. man an exclusive exactly it's the last 10 minutes of the sixers pod so if you're listening to this you deserve it first and i'm allowed to change my mind but if i had to pick the game today i would pick the chiefs to win i i just i think the chiefs are might be better than the eagles Maybe, but I really think what the Chiefs present is the the things the Eagles dominate at. The, the Eagles dominate on the lines. The Chiefs have really good lines, and they also score a ton of points. So what it really comes down to is, do you think the Eagles can win a shootout against Patrick Mahomes? It could happen. I mean, we saw Nick Foles do it against Tom Brady, all those things, blah, blah, blah. I just, man, I, I really think the Chiefs are going to score a lot of points. And as good as the Eagles have been, and they're a special team, but the Chiefs can make the argument they're special too. So I I, I was sure they were going to beat the Giants, like demolish the Giants. I was very confident against the Niners. The Chiefs are the first team in a while where I've looked at what they do well and looked at the matchup issues, and my initial gut reaction was, I don't think the Eagles win. I would say this. I've, Patrick Mahomes puts the fear of God in me. So yeah. that is, uh, yeah. I, he is not, that guy alone, like set aside everything else. I was texting friends like, I would take the Bengals a hundred out of a hundred times over the chiefs. Cause mm -hmm. as good as Joe Burrow is, as good as their weapons are, I think the Eagles pass rush would just destroy the offensive yeah. line. And you know, that would, that would end up simplifying the game in a lot of ways. I just, I am afraid of Patrick Mahomes as a, an Eagles observer, but I, I do think they're the best team and I think they're better than, it, I think there's a pretty clear case it's the best Eagles team ever, regardless of whether they win. Dude, I think so too. I was saying this earlier. Like, I think you could drop this specific Eagles team into any era of the NFL, 80s, 90s, like, and they would yeah. be one of the best teams, if not the best team, just because they're so good on the lines. And that's why I do think they can definitely beat the Chiefs, but the Chiefs line plays an issue. But regardless, the Eagles you know, they're an analytically driven organization. They're forward thinking. They do all these types of cool new things. What they really are is a team that just wins the way you always win. And that's just, they just absolutely crush people in, in the trenches. So, yeah, I mean, I think it's the best team I've ever seen. You know, the the Phillies team that won 100 whatever games that got bounced early, they were pretty dominant. Um, there probably hasn't been a Sixers team that's in that conversation. But I mean, the, the, not in our lifetimes. The 83 Sixers might be the best. They're probably the best single season Philadelphia team ever, I think. Well, that's when, when they traded for Moses Malone. Oh, they yeah, basically yeah, yeah. Swept the playoffs. Yeah, that that they they would. They're, be in they're the best single season Philadelphia team ever to me. Right. Um, but to stick to the Eagles, to your point, lines are great. 
They have the best wide receiver duo they've ever had yeah. in their history. The best cornerback the running, duo. Yeah. Cornerbacks are great. The quarterback is a dual threat that, you know, that adds to they have a good run game, but he is like another dimension to that that right. creates all sort of issues for other teams. So yeah, I think they're like I don't know if I would say easily the best Eagles team ever, but I, I think they're they're the most talented and they're the yeah. ones that I would well, trust the most. And think about this. In 2004, when the Eagles went to the Super Bowl, McNabb was 28 and in his sixth year and had a ton of playoff failure already on his resume. In 2017, when they went to the Super Bowl, their franchise quarterback had a knee brace on and wasn't playing. Like the fact that now they're going with a 24 year old guy that could be MVP, that's, you know, for all intents and purposes, fully healthy. I, I think the, the future has never been brighter for this franchise for, for where they're at. But I think they might lose. So we'll see. I mean, by the time I make my prediction, I, I might change my mind. But my initial read is like, yikes. This is this is a tough <laughs> one. But this is a tough one. But but to uh what we were saying, a lot of away games coming up. I'm gonna be in Arizona next week. So, you know, we'll probably be a little more Eagles talk too as well, because Kyle's clearly got Eagles takes as well. Um, oh, yeah. so we will be back. Uh today is Tuesday. I fly out Sunday, so we'll figure that out. But there will be another pod this week, um, maybe Friday, Saturday morning, something like that, to uh, yeah. to talk about hopefully two Sixers wins. And uh, we'll only be four or five days away from the trade deadline then, even less. So we'll have uh, more from Kyle on that. So thank you to everybody that tuned in and listened. Uh, super, super appreciate it. The more we do this, uh, the more the pod's growing. It's been really awesome to see all the people listening. We're getting more reviews. So thank you to everybody that's sticking with us uh, and continuing to listen. And um, we will talk to you guys next time. Kyle, talk to you later, man. See you guys.